The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. On round one this morning, we have Mark Warner, international trade lawyer. Laura Babcock is the host of The O Show, and she's with Power Group Communications. Tim Hudak is here, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. And listen, we can do a quick go-round on this one. We can't ignore it, but at the same time, it's mostly what I call in the business a hand-wringer. I don't know what's to be said about what happened on the TTC yesterday, but a 20-year-old woman in her 20s stabbed by a stranger... Uh, Laura Babcock reaching the point now, I think, these random attacks, especially associated with the TTC, that while they're trying to lure us back, yeah, no thanks. That's pretty brutal. I feel badly for the people who really have no other option, don't have access to a car or need to get to their shift work or whatever and have to take the TTC. Uh, You know, it's almost at the point where we're going to get to the if you see something, say something stage that we've heard in other cities where there's been like terrorist attacks on their public transit. I mean, these are one off attacks by people who seem to be mentally disturbed. Uh, But it's, it's getting to that point. What can you do other than be aware of your surroundings and report anything and hope that the new money put into the budget is going to help populate the TTC? with more law enforcement at this stage. It's pretty grim. Uh, Mark Warner, your thoughts? You know, it's, it, obviously, it is, you're right, a hangwringer, John. I mean, I, I, I have uh, been taking the TTC lots more lately as I sort of travel from the uh, John Tory crater to the um, downtown more often. Um, the, the issue, though, for me, what I observe when I'm on the subway is it seems to me that there you still have a lot more of the homeless people who had, you know, um, to, you know, moved into the streetcars during the pandemic, uh, not streetcars, sorry, the subway system when the, um, during the pandemic. And uh, now you've got them living side by side with others who are going back down there. But what I, what I find, and I don't see this reflected in the reporting, so I can't say whether it's true of any of these incidents we read about or not. What I find is that some people seem to interact, engage um, the, the people um, who are, obviously disturbed. And, and that's something I don't understand. I'll be honest with you, John. I'm probably twice the size of most people I see down in the subway system. And I sort of observe my surroundings, but I don't engage them. And I, I wonder, I know these things are always described as, as sort of uh, unprovoked or um, that they don't know each other. But what I observe are people who I look up with my eyebrows and I go, why would you or half my size choose to engage someone who's obviously disturbed and create an incident? But that's that's just what I observe. Sure. And uh, just to double check, when you reference John Tory's crater, what what are you referring to? Oh, the Young and Edmonton uh, oh. crater. Oh, okay. Um, Tim Hudak, uh, like I said, I don't think there's much more to be said, except, you know, very early in the show today, I was saying, I don't know what the action is, but I somehow feel like we need something that's almost like a slap to the face to say, all right, there's something not working in this town. And so everybody <laughs> pay attention. We're going to try and move on from this and end this, this spate of violence. You'd think, I mean, there's been many slaps in the face. It seems like every other day, uh, some, you know, random attack, usually around the TTC. Uh, I think you'd agree with me, John. I think this is the, the major vulnerability right now for Mayor John Tory. It is uh, growing as an issue. I think, you know, talking around the barbecue in the neighborhood, you hear more, more about this than you do at housing prices these days, and that's telling you something. I think we don't see some stronger action from the city in combination with the province. That's going to start impacting, as it should, their poll numbers. We've been talking this morning about Cafe 
FATO and how for the first time the city's going to apply some fees. Uh, Tim Hudak, let me ask you. I mean, the mayor was on with us at 635 this morning and said, listen, it's costing us money and we gave everybody two years for free. So now we're going to charge. Yeah, there should be a benefit. Uh, there's a sorry, there's a significant benefit, and therefore there should be some cost sharing for this program. Two hundred three million dollars in benefits to local businesses. Good, they needed that break. Obviously, very popular with consumers because you're seeing more applying uh, each year. But for those that are benefiting, is it fair to ask them to pay a, a permit fee and a registration fee? I think absolutely so. I think the risk here is that it takes me back a little bit to that. Remember when the city of Toronto designed the vendor carts for food yeah. and did the map, and it was a total disaster. I mean that old expression that. A camel is a horse designed by committee. That's what government will do for you. So I think the risk here is not the fees. They seem reasonable. Is they've started putting too many rules, restrictions, it has to look a certain way. That's the way it'll become a mess. Yeah. Mark Warner, I, I would see that in applying these fees, then restaurants and bars may get more serious about this. So instead of some of these, uh, you know, as Robert Turner calls them, dying in the gutter things where you have like plastic poles and police tape that if they're committed to it, they'll build for it. I think that that's, that's, that might be true. I mean, restaurants are not operating, most of restaurants are not operating off a huge margin these days. So I think if this becomes one more additional cost they have to pay, it could actually go in the in the opposite direction, unless, you know, the city is also going to hire a new flight of uh, city employees to go around and check to see that people are actually keeping the standards up. And then, of course, that means the next year the fees will go up to reflect that. So um, I'm not troubled by this overly uh, so far, you know, these things, but once they do get in the budget, they do send to, you know, people, it becomes a cash point that you can increase. So, um, but initially it doesn't bother me too much. We'll see whether, whether as many restaurants actually take up the program mm-hmm. once they have more skin in the game. Laura Babcock, Mary Fragedakis from the uh, Danforth BIA was on with us and she made a fairly convincing case about how, as Mark Warner said, these restaurants and bars aren't really making bank right now. So we should be cutting them some slack. Well, now that the announcement is saying that it's going to be permanent, that the experiment worked, which is great because I, I love boulevards that are full of cafes and, and there's traffic calming measures that go with that, right? There's often these beautiful um, bas- you know, uh, floral baskets and protected bike lanes and all that kind of stuff. It can really be uh, an attraction and, and help with tourism and everything else. So I think it's great that they're doing it permanently, maybe phasing in the fees you know, or, or scaling them according to you know where the restaurant are vis-a-vis the kind of profits or the kind of traffic they get, maybe the city can look at that or getting these restaurants comfortable with the idea. I mean, one of the things in here is that if you have to build it up to the same level as the curb, that's a patio that you build that you can use year after year. So that's kind of a one-time cost. Um, But I, I think it's important that they charge fees for it. It's important that the city recoup the investment it's made into this program. Uh, But let's do it in a way that it doesn't become prohibitive for some. So you don't have kind of a a gap tooth look along the road where some restaurants can afford to put out their patio and others can't. And we can create these really nice patio spaces. The Bank of Canada expected to raise the central bank rate today by 0.25%. Mark Warner, you're our international trade expert here. Um, You know, Jim Stanford, who I have a great deal of respect for as an economist is predicting there's going to be calamity as a result. I'm not as convinced. Well, he's a labor economist, um, or he was beforehand, and so he does tend to think that anything that doesn't give more money to workers immediately is a calamity. So I don't know that he's a... I wouldn't be looking to him for advice on macroeconomics. Um, Look, the way I look at this, John, more is more of my international flavor, I guess, is that interest rates in Canada 
you know, have to are normally set or typically set in relation to the United States. And there are Canadians who don't like to hear stuff like that. There are Canadian economists who don't like to hear it because it makes them seem like they have less relevant to the world. And so what I tend to look at is what's the Fed going to do? Because that essentially we cannot have our rates go significantly, have a huge gap between their rates and ours. And so I still think that the Americans are likely to increase their rates. And so my guess is that ours will continue to increase for some period. Okay, Tim, you're the economist on the panel. What do you see? Well, you know, interest rate hikes are, are a bulldozer. They can they can cause a significant uh, impact in the economy. We're going to borrow less. We'll spend less on major purpose on major purchases, and that will slow down the economy. They can also be a bit unpredictable, so it's a valid debate. Uh, but but I you know I actually think the bank can take the right approach here because well, infl- in hikes and in interest rates are a bulldozer. Inflation is a terrible disease. It erodes our savings, creates uncertainty, will cause unemployment, uh, and it looks like. So far, the path is working. I do hope it's 25 points uh, today. I do hope then it'll be plateaued for a while and get back on our feet. Longer term, I'm optimistic. There's a lot of demand for housing. I think we'll bounce back. It's just a bit of a nail-biter right now, John. Okay, listen, I want to tackle a couple of other things. And, Laura, I'll start with you. And intriguingly, you don't actually live in Toronto, so here's a great question for you. Uh, It's a list of the most overrated cities in the world. Five Canadian cities are on the list, and Toronto's included. And this is, apparently, they did some math and compared how cities are rated by travelers, but then how travelers feel about them after they have visited the city. But uh, without being a Toronto firster, I'm somewhat resentful that we're on the list. Well, I was born in Toronto, so maybe I have a, a bias down there somewhere. Uh, but yeah, Toronto is kind of still a little bit boring. You know, like it, it has come a long way since the 80s. But I have to say that, you know, when I went to New York City this summer, it overwhelmed me positively. It was so much more than I expected. And I'd been there before because they put so much effort into curating that city and the experience you get, just even Central Park. So then you juxtapose that with a world-class city like Toronto. And I can understand why people visiting are expecting more than their getting. We don't have that great of a restaurant patio scene in Toronto. There isn't that much to do if you're not going to a major event. So I can see why people would expect more when other cities are really popping off. Okay, well, yeah, go ahead, Mark Warner, because you've traveled the world, you've lived in other cities. (laughs) Yeah, I I found the survey kind of bizarre, because among the top 10 most overrated, overrated cities, we actually do it that way. So these are all 10 that would rank as more overrated than Toronto, Bangkok, um, 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 London, Paris, Turkey, and Tokyo, Singapore, yeah, and Miami, yeah. So, like, <laughs> which is a bit ridiculous, to be honest. So, I don't, I need to know more about how this study was done, or what kind of people they were sending out. If there were people, I didn't like Miami, I didn't like Paris, I didn't like London. So, if you didn't, if you're not liking those cities, I can't imagine you're going to like Toronto very much. <laughs> well, Tim Hudak, my measure always is: if a city has more than four interesting things that you would visit or take in as part of, you know, being there then it's probably a city worth visiting. And I can probably list more than a half a dozen things in Toronto that can make the grade. So I think this is not an overrated city. Oh, no, I think Toronto's doing doing great. I'm actually going to be hosting a bunch of American State Association CEOs in real estate, and they're pumped to come and visit Toronto this June. Well, like like Mark Warner said, like we spanked London, we spanked Paris on this survey, right? Like we are actually doing a much better job. It appeals sadly to our sense of uh, inferiority, our, our lack of confidence when it comes to Toronto. We should feel great about it. And besides, John, we all know we're way better than Ottawa. That's one that tops my list. No, you know what? I kind of like Ottawa. 
Wawa. Uh, at oh, the, the buy market. It's getting sketchy <laughs> I'm downtown. I'm going to drive there. a truck there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you all. Good to have you, Laura Babcock, Tim Hudak, and Mark Warner. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.